This message was presented at the GYC 2014 conference at the Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. I have experienced the Lord's redemptive glory in my life, and I know what God means now when he tells us that he can make all things work together for the good. The things that we have either been victim to or the things that we, uh, that which we suffer because of our own decisions. It took me a long time to experience this, though. It was 30 years, and that's very sad to me, and I do not want anyone else waiting that long. He took a mess like me, showed me his redemptive love and power, and then gave me a message. Now, I've come to the conclusion from my own personal experience that the real problem with why more people have not experienced the Lord's redemptive grace is simply a weak relational experience with him. Now, we can answer questions until we're blue in the face and we can make an A on the test, but until we understand how to experience and apply the Lord's love in our own lives, we're really missing out on who God is. The very God who created us had the plan of salvation in place long before we needed it, sees all those secret sins we tried to excuse and hide, watched as his son's beard was being pulled out, his face spit out, and his body stripped naked before the jeering crowds. That same God loves us. That same God has the power to heal and restore the broken, post-abortive woman and man. A woman who has taken the life of the most innocent of us all, her own baby. But until she experiences this great love for herself, it will only be an answer in a workbook, not a life-changing, heartbreaking, personal, miraculous moment of realizing once and for all that it was for her that Jesus died And it was her tear-stained face that was carved into the palms of his hand. It was his love for her that kept him nailed to that cross. Now, I don't think it's humanly possible for us to grasp this kind of love. It is foreign to us. But when we spend time with him and we cover his acts of love throughout the Bible and we get to know a little more about him, our hearts will break with gratitude And like Mary, we will want to fall at our dear Savior's feet and wash them with our tears of love and appreciation. Now remember, it's a relationship with God that we need to pursue. That's how love, that's how trust is developed. Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Now as you study, you'll realize that it is you who is being pursued, and it will melt your heart. I will return to her vineyard. I will return her vineyards to her and transform her valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. She will give herself to me there, as she did long ago when she was young, when I freed her from captivity in Egypt. Now, I gave my life to Jesus when I was 15 years old. I wanted nothing more than to live for him. I remember it very well. Now, I had already been baptized, but this is the day that I hold precious. 
and I believe Jesus took note of that day as well. I realize now that he was jealous for me. I belonged to him, and he wanted me to allow him to provide for all my needs. Throughout my life, he never left me nor forsook me. He was always completely committed to me. And though I sought wisdom from the world to take care of my problems and then suffered the alienation that comes from sin, he remained at the gateway of hope, anticipating my return. I love to imagine him standing there, faithfully watching for me. He never gave up on me. Now, as I've said before, I met Antoinette at the 2011 GYC in Houston. It was the first time I had ever seen anything about the topic of abortion within our church. My husband and I checked her out. What a breath of fresh air she was. She stood there and told us her story, how her mother had been in a crisis pregnancy and had planned to have an abortion. But because of Christian intervention and help, she changed her mind. She chose to trust God and have her baby. That baby was Antoinette. And as I stood there listening to this beautiful young woman share her story, I realized if I had not had my first abortion, my baby would be close to her age. Now in that year that followed, we invited Antoinette to come and share her story with our church and others in the area. The response was amazing. Everywhere we went, Seventh-day Adventist women opened up about a past abortion. And it became very evident to me that I was not the only one suffering from a secret sorrow. I had never wanted anything so desperately as I did the redemptive healing that Antoinette told me the Lord had for me. I knew in my heart that the Lord had forgiven me but there was still something missing. I had experienced his healing power when he took the bulimia away from me, but now I wanted everything. I wanted to experience his full redemption. I started doing research on the post-abortive woman and healing. The Lord led me to Rachel's Vineyard, and I made arrangements to attend one of their weekend retreats. The coordinator was so nice so much different than that 1-800 number I had called years before when I had been so desperate. And for those of you who don't remember, one of my first times that I ever re reached out for help was when I called a 1-800 number for post-abortive women. And I was desperate, and it was pitiful. And she answered the phone, and it took all the courage I had and I told her my story, and her first response was, well, you know abortion's more murder, don't you? I mean, it was like, yes, that's why I'm dying inside. And I hung up the phone, it had nothing to do. I had nothing to do with most of the pro-life movements, not all of them. They scared me. They didn't have any hope. And in fact, it seemed that they were more concerned about that unborn child than the born child, me, who was in a crisis. Now, they admit their early days, they didn't have everything, their priorities straight. And today, they have made great changes. So I want to let you know that. I'm very proud of what they're doing.
So you can imagine how it was, wow, this woman was so pleasant. When I told her I wasn't Catholic, she told me she wasn't either, and I could sign up for a non-denominational weekend. Now the weekend, or the week before the retreat, I actually started experiencing the very same feelings of extreme anxiety that I had experienced before my first abortion. I felt terrible fear, and I truly believed the devil was trying to keep me from going through with it. Antoinette had given me much courage, and I had three other friends who prayed around the clock while I was there throughout the entire weekend. And it was a wonderful retreat. I have never been so ministered to in all my life. It made me jealous that our church doesn't have such a program for women. We can no longer remain silent about this tragic subject and believe decisions about abortions must be made in the context of a fallen world. In doing that, we are digging wells that can hold no water. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. There are so many of us that insist on digging our own wells in search of a solution to a problem. We lean on our own understanding and our own wisdom instead of benefiting from the spring of life. And these cisterns become the very pits that we fall into, and so many pits. When a baby dies because of an abortion, the mother oftentimes feels too ashamed to grieve. It would seem hypocritical to grieve the death that you had control over. To grieve requires the acknowledgement that that baby was a part of your family. Those emotions are usually denied, and with that denial comes all kinds of problems. I cannot even go into the list of problems that women have to battle or suffer under because of their decision. Oftentimes, she is simply afraid of falling apart or losing her mind if she were to ever let herself go there and cry. It is truly heartbreaking. Before a woman can have the courage to face what's been swept under the carpet, she must have full assurance of how much the Lord loves her. What better way than to do this than going to the illustrations in the Bible? She must have the confidence that the Lord Jesus can forgive even her. Where can we find better examples of the Lord's forgiveness than in the Bible? When we sin, we die inside. And what better place than the Bible can we find stories of Jesus bringing the dead back to life? Jesus binds up the wounds. Jesus restores the years the locusts have eaten. Jesus is our Redeemer. Now, at the retreat, we shared our stories and we wept together. We prayed together and confessed together. Then we were given the wonderful opportunity to dedicate our babies to the Lord. And it was then that I really, really felt healing. I had never even thought about dedicating the babies that I had lost, but it was very powerful. By doing this, I acknowledged that this baby was indeed part of me, and I was choosing to trust the Lord with him now. The grief came. We shed tears of regret, 
And now came the cleansing tears of grief, grief without condemnation. We were encouraged to write letters to our unborn children. I know I couldn't have written the words if I hadn't gone through the earlier steps. The denial was gone, and I was talking to my baby. I named my first unborn child Uriah, after the brave and honorable Uriah the Hittite in the Bible. Let me just get a drink of water. That helps so much. (laughs) My dear Uriah, you would have been our firstborn, Uriah, an honored and blessed position. But your dad and I prevented that from happening. We didn't trust God, son. We leaned on our own understanding of things. We trusted man's wisdom over the wisdom from above. The doctors told us we should abort every one of them. I'd like to think that was the only reason I did it and thus blame them. I can't. I was afraid, son. Even though I was engaged to your dad, I felt shame and fear. I think that if I had had a spiritual mentor at the time, I might have reconsidered, maybe. I didn't have a church family to be embarrassed around. I was afraid of what the radiation might have done to you, but I can't blame it on just that. I named you Uriah because he was a righteous man and his life was taken away. He was in the way. Through David, through him, David's shame would have been revealed, so he had him killed. If I had not had the abortion, I would have been shamed. Shamed. So, son, I had you aborted. I had your precious little body destroyed and removed from the safety of my womb. Now I know what real shame is. You would have been 31 old. You would have been 31 years old by now, son. You would have been big and beautiful and strong. But I took it away. I am so sorry. I am so sorry, son. I look forward to the day when we're reunited. I want to hold you close to my heart and thank Jesus for forgiving me and giving me back, you back to me. Huh. I love you, Uriah, mommy. Pretty powerful, huh? <clears throat> there was a memorial service where we each were given the chance to read our letters. The entire weekend was so structured around healing and restoring. I left there a changed person. I have been redeemed. How careful is the Lord Jesus to give no occasion for a soul to despair. How he fences about the soul from Satan's fierce attacks. If through manifold temptations we are surprised or deceived into sin, he does not turn from us and leave us to perish. No, no, that is not our Savior. The lamb slain is our only hope. Our faith looks up to him, grasps him as the one who can save us to the uttermost. 
and the fragrance of the all-sufficient offering is accepted of the Father. If you make failures and are betrayed into sin, do not feel then that you cannot pray, but seek the Lord more earnestly. The blood of Jesus is pleading with power and efficacy for those who are backslidden, for those who are rebellious, for those who sin against great light and love. I love this, guys. Satan stands at our right hand to accuse us, and our advocate stands at God's right hand to plead for us. He has never lost a case that has been committed to him. Got to read that one again. He has never lost a case that has been committed to him. We may trust in our advocate, for he pleads his own merits in our behalf. He is making intercession for the most lowly, the most oppressed and suffering, for the most tried and tempted ones. With upraised hands, he pleads, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Is that not just the most beautiful thing? Everybody needs to read that. That just heals me. Oh, I had to share that with you guys. It's so much a part of my experience. I cannot stand the thought of women and men going through life and never experiencing the full power of redemption in their lives because of the pain of an abortion in years past. Satan wants to keep these women and men tangled in a web of shame. It may be completely invisible to those around them, but believe me, there are many out there entangled in a web of sorrow, regret, fear, anger, and unhappiness. But oh, for their eyes to be open to the fact that there is indeed, as Corey Timboom often said, no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. Even the pits we have dug. God wants to tell all who are suffering to look up because he is there to forgive and heal and protect. None are so low and vile that they cannot find full redemption in the matchless love of Jesus. God wants to set you free. His hand of mercy and immeasurable love reaches out today saying, I am the great healer, loving and full of compassion. I have promised to give redemption. Come now and let us reason together. We must understand that God is on our side. He is on your side. Today he continues to give that invitation. Come unto me, you who are weak and heavy laden and I will give you rest, glorious rest. And what about the church? Listen. While helping the disheartened break free from their bondage and equipping those in need, our light shines like the morning sun, and restoration quickly appears. Righteousness goes before us, and the glory of the Lord is our rear guard. We cry out for relief, and the Lord answers and says, Here am I, and the old waste places will be rebuilt. The foundations will be raised up. The breach will be repaired, and the paths to dwell in 
restored. And I personally, from my experience, this is very applicable to the damage that's been done within our church because of our silence on the issue of abortion. Thank you very much. My sons would be so proud of me, guys. I just want you to know. Is that it right there? Okay. It should be on there, but I don't have my glasses. That one? Top one? Okay. And then you can just go. The cross is where devastation and wreckage meet hope. It's where we breathe in the free air of redemption. It's where dry bones live. For those of you, oh, excuse me, that is the cross. That is life eternal. That is what we as individuals and as a church have the opportunity to offer. Not in our own power, not in our own strength, but by whom and through whom we are made whole. For those of you who attended an earlier seminar, you'll know that, excuse me, there was a time in my life when I utterly rejected the Lord's plan. I ran away from my Heavenly Father. And I told him, if this is your plan, I do not want it. I made choices that caused me the most profound regret. Choices that the enemy condemned me with over and over and over again. Have you ever been desperate to believe that his grace really is sufficient for you? When I came back to the Lord, my choice was definitive. I choose you, Lord. But my acceptance of his forgiveness was more of a process. And in that journey, the story of Peter, his fall and his redemption, became profoundly important to me. Peter was something like a force of nature, opinionated, strong-willed, seemingly indomitable. He promised our Savior, though all others forsake you, I will not. Peter walked next to the Lord. He was taught by the Lord. He looked into the Lord's face. He ate with the Lord. He slept beside the Lord. Peter breathed his air. The Lord was as real to Peter as the blood pumping in his veins. And yet, yet, Peter betrayed 
the Lord. Peter broke his heart. For the Lord to seek Peter out, to purposefully and specifically bring him back in, it speaks to me of the magnitude of the forgiveness of the Lord. Peter had betrayed the Lord. So had I. He had forgiven Peter. He has also forgiven me. His grace is sufficient. And what is truly remarkable about the story of Peter is that it was after having been broken and then living in humility for the remainder of his life because of that brokenness and redemption, Peter was able to fulfill his calling on the face of the earth. In Psalm 107, 1 through 3, and then 10 through 22, it says, O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy and gathered out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, bound in affliction and irons, because they had rebelled against the words of God and because they had despised the counsel of the Most High. Therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down, and there was none to help. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death, and he broke their chains in pieces. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works for the children of men, for he has broken the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron in two. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Their soul abhorred all manner of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He sent them his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. Do you know what I find remarkable about those verses? Those people were in trouble because they chose it. In the NIV, it says, some sat in darkness, in utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the plan of the Most High. Have you ever sat in utter darkness because you rebelled against the command of the Most High? And yet, that is not the end of the story. Because then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. <clears throat> and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness, and broke away their chains. The Lord does not forget us in our darkness and our despair. He comes for us. He came for us. He looked down through the ages and knew we would need him. Let us give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind, for he breaks down the gates of bronze and cuts through the bars of iron. 
These verses aren't simply recounting oppression and unjust tribulation. These individuals were in trouble, experiencing profound difficulty because of their sin. They were in chains because of what they had done. And yet, when they cried out to the Lord, he heard their cry. He redeemed, he rescued, he restored. How easy it is to forget that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Truly, by the power of the Lord, we are cut free from the cords of the wicked that tried to bind us. Throughout my life, I've heard various persons speak about the story of Rahab. <clears throat> Excuse me. As many of you know, Rahab was a prostitute living in Jericho. And as the Israelites were preparing to take the land of Canaan, Joshua sent spies to the land to survey the land, Jericho in particular. Rahab hid these spies and provided protection for them. For her faithfulness, she and her family were rescued when Jericho fell. And yet, she wasn't merely rescued that day. She is also only one of a handful of women specifically named in the lineage of Christ himself. That is remarkable. What I find fascinating in the retelling of her story, the inevitable conclusion has been, take heart, friend, because the Lord can save even a prostitute. When I heard that most recently, I was simply struck by it. Ladies and gentlemen, the Lord does not hold out Rahab as some sort of pitiful creature to be analyzed and pitied. The Lord holds out Rahab as what she was, a prostitute, and he beckons us, look at her, look at her life, look at her choices, and then look at the way that I redeemed her. I lifted her up out of the mire, and I set her feet on the rock, and I long to do the same thing for you. We haven't been given the story of Rahab so that we can congratulate ourselves that we aren't like that pathetic prostitute. We have been given the story of Rahab, ladies and gentlemen, because the reality is that every single one of us, every single person to ever walk the face of the earth has prostituted themselves to the world. We have chosen against the Lord's plan. We have chosen against the Lord. We have been given Rahab's story so that when we come to acknowledge that we too have given ourselves away to the world, we can take heart, fall on our faces, and say, Thank you, Father, for just as you redeemed Rahab, rescued her, and exalted her as your servant, so too you can do with me. The glory of this story is not that the Lord can save even a prostitute. The glory of this story is that the Lord can save even me, even you. The story of the cross is the story of redemption. The person who struggles with pride is just as guilty as the woman who has had an abortion. The person who indulges in anger is just as guilty as the woman who has had an abortion. The person who secretly covets is just as guilty as the woman who has had an abortion. Moreover, 
the men who stood aside while daughters and wives and girlfriends endured their abortions alone are just as guilty as the women who engaged in the act. We are all equal at the foot of the cross. All of our righteousness is as filthy rags. And yet, yet, because we have committed our lives to him, when Yahweh, when the Lord of glory looks on us, he sees his son's righteousness. He sees his son's perfection. That is the glory of redemptive grace. As Diane mentioned, every time this ministry has had the opportunity to um, present a seminar or an exhibit at a convention, we meet. Um, And since 2011, I have met women who are post-abortive, who have experienced the tragedy of abortion. As you've heard, Diane was one such woman. And praise the Lord that as she stands before you today, she waves as a banner of victory, a testament to the Lord's redemptive love and transforming power. And yet, ladies and gentlemen, there are thousands upon thousands of women just like her, just surviving, treading water, and they fill our pews every Sabbath morning. In every story that has been shared with me, there is a common thread of condemnation, guilt, and shame. 20, 10, 20, 30 years later, when the individual has not found freedom and redemption at the cross. Their voices have been snuffed out, silenced, stifled, because of the condemnation and shame that they bear. They have simply been taken out. We believe that the Lord came to set people free. Why would we hesitate as individuals or a church to speak light into that darkness? What we must understand is that for the post-abortive woman, for the post-abortive man, honoring the sanctity of life, valuing the sanctity of life, the value of our lives does not condemn, it does not shame, and it does not accuse them Honoring the sanctity of life, the value of life, invites everyone, but especially the post-abortive woman and man, to acknowledge this truth, that their lives were intrinsically valuable, that their child, too, was intrinsically valuable. And though they have done what cannot be undone, just like you and I have done many a thing that cannot be undone, a Savior awaits, offering Forgiveness, hope, and joy beyond their wildest imaginations. If we as individuals and as a church, if we refuse to lead people to the light on this issue, whether by our silence or by our indifference, by our apathy, the consequence of that refusal is that we will have hindered and will continue to hinder countless individuals in their desperate quest for forgiveness. How long will we push post-abortive women and men aside to live in bondage and guilt, condemnation and shame, despair and depression? Moreover, For those women and men who are keenly aware of their sin, who have lived for years under the weight of shame, what is our silence really telling them? Many, a post-abortive woman has heard, grace is available for the adulterer. Grace is available for the thief. Grace is available for the one who covets. 
But what about the post-abortive woman? Has she heard that grace is available for her? No. Instead, she hears cold, hard, unforgiving silence. Through us as individuals, through us as a church, the Lord is seeking to extend his hand to those who have experienced the tragedy of an abortion. The question is, will we be conduits of his redemptive grace? Will we embrace our calling and take up our duty to boldly proclaim that our women and men have been gloriously redeemed? Our answer Our answer has to be yes. We must have the courage to tell her that she too can be redeemed. No more condemnation, no more shame, no more despair, set free. So when the enemy sits at her shoulder, just like he sits at yours and mine, mocking, accusing, and shaming, when he piles her failures on top of her and attempts to drown her in the rising waves, have you ever been there? When the fear rises and the storm rages and all you can hear are his words of condemnation thundering in your ears, she can turn to him and say, I have been redeemed, redeemed. We are not redeemed because we've never sinned. We are not redeemed because we've always been obedient. We are not redeemed because we've done nothing wrong. We are redeemed because we are covered by the blood. And all we need to know is the answer to that question, have I been redeemed? As one who believes in the Son of God Almighty, as one who has accepted his free gift of forgiveness, praise the Lord, our answer can be yes. In Hebrews 12, 2, we are told that for the joy that was set before him, our Savior endured the cross. Do you know what that joy was? It was you. It was me. It was us. He foresaw our brokenness. He foresaw our pain. He foresaw our need. He knew we would need him desperately. So he stretched out his arms and he said, For you, beloved, for you, I will not come down. He foresaw our need. And then, do you know what he did? He anticipated our redemption. He anticipated our reconciliation to himself. He anticipated our recreation as we would come to experience the transforming power and life-giving healing that his redemptive grace brings. We were his joy. You were his joy. And in you, in us, he is telling and will tell a story that the world, broken, pained, and despairing, needs to hear. A story that points to the one, the only one, through whom we can be made whole. In Romans 8, 28 and 29, It says that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he predestined to conform to the image of his Son. All things work together for good. All things. This all isn't just sugar and sweetness. All the nice things that you've done will work together for good. And it's not just an encouragement to help me see purpose in those things that are done to me. All things work together for good. There is no qualifier. 
all things. All things, Father, my past, my stumbling, my failure, my fumbling around, all things. All things together for good to them that love God and are the called according to his purpose. Our Lord is sovereign. There is a reason he promises to restore what the locusts have eaten. There is a reason he promises to give beauty for ashes. He is sovereign over it all. And he is using, has used, and will use it all to conform us to the image of his son. Are we to live a life of obedience? Absolutely. Are we to walk according to the truth and the light we've been given? Undeniably. However, are we called to live a life of shame, condemnation, and despair? A thousand times, no. We are called to live a life of hope, of redemption, of victory. We are called to be an instrument through which the captive can be set free. My mother once told me, Antoinette, when you were born, she said, Antoinette, when you were born, the Lord said, Welcome, my beloved. I have waited for you. As our people, young and old, male and female, come to an understanding and an acceptance of what was lost through the abortive act, not just a clump of cells, a human being, as they come to walk full and free and alive in their Savior's transforming grace-filled power, the Lord says once again, Welcome, my beloved. I have waited for you. The question is, will we embrace our duty? Will we embrace our calling to be the vessel through which the captive is set free? Will we embrace our calling so that others may proclaim the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. The Lord waits. He waits for you, beloved daughter. He waits for you, beloved son. He waits for us as a church. He is waiting. Will you close with me in prayer? I pray, Father, that for those listening to my voice, you will light a fire in them that will not die and cannot be quenched. I pray that our commitment to the value of each and every human being will be resolute and unshakable. I pray that with abundant grace and determination, we will embrace our calling to be vessels through which the captive is set free. I praise you for this experience, and I glorify your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2014 conference at The Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, 
Christ-centred and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.